Beloved, our call to worship this evening is from Psalm 99, verse 3, verse 5, and verse 9. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. We confess this evening that our help is in the name of the Lord who has made heaven and earth, who keeps truth forever, and who never forsakes the work of his own hands. Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture reading for this evening is from the first epistle of John, chapter 1, 1 John, chapter 1. Let us give our full attention to the reading of God's Word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. May God bless the reading of his clear and simple word to our hearts. Beloved, our text for this evening is from 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Together with that, we wish to consider our Lord's Day 51, question and answer 126. Find that on page 86 in the back of the Psalter. Question 126. Which is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us, poor sinners, our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us, even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. The last time I preached on this Lord's Day, we had two sermons on forgiving one another. And so tonight I want to focus on the first part of this petition. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Praying for forgiveness. How do you pray for forgiveness? When you come before God in prayer, what do you say? How do you pray for forgiveness? Maybe you're an unbeliever tonight. You're in the throes of unbelief. You've never confessed sin before, and yet you know that this is your great need to confess sin and to find forgiveness before the sight of God. How do you pray for forgiveness when it seems out of your reach, when it seems impossible that God would forgive your sin? In the life of sanctification, seem that forgiveness is equally out of reach for believers at times. How can it be possible, we ask ourselves, that God could forgive my sin that I've committed again? Jesus taught us to pray for forgiveness, but it seems like that path between our sin and the grace of God has been worn one too many times. It's a well-worn path. We sinned again and we wonder if we can go down that path once more. Isn't God tired of us yet? We're slow learners. There can be other roadblocks to forgiveness. A hardened heart because of backsliding. No longer knowing the tenderness of a broken and a contrite heart. Needing a Nathan in our lives to come and to point the finger at us. As we heard this morning. It can be an improper understanding of what forgiveness is. Operating with this understanding of forgiveness that somehow we need to forgive ourselves. We need to make restitution. We need to straighten up our lives before we go to God and find forgiveness. Because only then can we find forgiveness. Once we've straightened out 
or there are misconceptions, there are misconceptions of God's character in our approach to Him in prayer. We, we approach God as a judge, as a God who is displeased, as a God who will not forgive sin, but a God who demands justice that's good and that's right. But there's more to God's character than simply that. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's the person and the work of Jesus Christ, as we'll see tonight, that draws us to a right and proper confession of sin in order to receive the forgiveness that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the gospel tonight. So with God's help, we want to consider this fifth petition that Jesus teaches His disciples and teaches us Forgive us our debts. This petition throws open wide the door of forgiveness and God's mercy. Our theme is this, praying for forgiveness. Praying for forgiveness, first of all, with the clarity of a proper confession. Our text this evening begins with these words, if we confess our sins... This statement comes in between two other if statements in the first chapter, in verses 8 and verse 10. If we confess our sins, is book ended with these statements. In verse 8, John writes, if we say that we have no sin. In verse 10, he writes, if we say that we have not sinned. Both of these statements deny the presence of sin in our lives. If we make those statements, John says, then we deceive ourselves and we make God a liar. So the opposite statement is important in verse 9. If we confess our sins. Notice how John structures these statements. If we say that we have no sin. And then, if we confess our sins. And then there's the other statement, if we say that we have not sinned. We're always saying something about sin, aren't we? That's the point that John is driving home here. We are either saying that we have no sin, that we've not sinned, or we are saying that we are full of sin. And what's significant about these statements, it's this, that we are always saying something, we are speaking about sin in our lives. The one statement or the two statements in verse 8 and verse 10 are denying, actively denying the presence of sin through what we say, through how we live. The other statement in verse 9 in our text is actively speaking the truth about the deadly presence of sin in our lives, in our hearts. These statements reveal what goes on in our minds and in our hearts in relation to sin. Our practical dealing with sin. Beloved, what are you saying about sin tonight in your life? The the implications, the end result of what we're saying about sin is important to grasp. 
If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We're living a lie tonight. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And His Word is not in us. Our integrity is at stake. Our salvation is at stake. The integrity and the truth of God and God Himself is at stake. Tonight we're either actively denying the presence of sin in our lives or we're actively speaking as we pray for forgiveness. We are actively speaking, revealing the sin that lives within our lives before the presence of God. When we pray for forgiveness, it implies what John says in verse 9, that we speak the truth about sin. This is what confession is all about, isn't it? Confession is the first part of forgiveness. The first part of praying for forgiveness. When you seek God's face in prayer and you seek His forgiveness, what are you saying to God? John is clear here. We need to confess our sin. We need to say what's living within our hearts. As we unpack this statement of Christ, forgive us our debts, the path to God's forgiveness begins with confession. If we confess our sins, then What does confession mean? What does the word confess mean here? It's really a compound word in Greek. To confess means to say the same word. To say the same thing. It means to assent or to admit to God's analysis of what it is that stands between you and Him and communion with Christ. To confess means that we begin to see sin from God's perspective. That God's word about sin becomes our word about sin. When we're convicted about sin, We immediately say what that sin is before God. We begin to see sin from God's perspective and speak about it from God's perspective. Doesn't this run contrary to what we naturally do when it comes to dealing with sin before God and before others? When it comes to defining sin and speaking about sin, we give it so many different labels, don't we? We talk about addictions. We talk about identities. We talk about rights. We talk about feelings. We talk about oppressions. We talk about fragility. We talk about systemic problems. And we talk about crises. 
We blame others. We blame circumstances. And no one wants to own their own sin. But we become masters of redefining, of minimizing, and hiding our sin. And so the call to confession tonight runs contrary to the grain of sinful human nature. It runs contrary to the very nature of sin itself because sin loves the cover of darkness, doesn't it? We've done this, this redefining, minimizing and hiding our sins. We've done it from the beginning. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve and God, the woman that you gave to me. Confession looks at sin from God's perspective. Sin is an affront to His holiness, to His righteousness, to His mercy, to His love, to His faithfulness. Sin is an assault on God. Until we recognize that personally, experientially, We will not learn to confess our sin properly and clearly. Confession says that sin is utterly destructive of ourselves and of others who are affected by our sin. Confession says that sin is at the root of every relational, every societal, every individual, every cultural problem that we face in life. We can trace it back to sin. That's where confession begins. Maximizing sin. What does Proverbs 28.13 say? Whoso covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So let's stop redefining sin. Let's stop minimizing sin. Let's stop hiding sin. Let's bring it out into the open before God. Doesn't mean that we splash it all over for others to hear. But when we pray for forgiveness... It means to give voice to our sins as God sees them. What does confession look like? How can Scripture help us tonight to understand what confession looks like? The prophet Hosea picks up on the idea of speaking and confession, linking it with forgiveness in Hosea 12.2. He says, take with you words. Did you hear that? Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto Him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Take with you words, the prophet says, and turn to the Lord and say to Him, take away all our iniquity. Speaking of sin as God sees it, iniquity Uncleanness, receive us graciously. 
What does that tell us? It tells us that we need to be specific in our confession. Take with you words. Be specific. One of you recently sent me an article. One of the statements in that article jumped out at me. It was this. You name the problem. You tame the problem. It has a host of applications, but it's true for confession, isn't it? If we name the problem before God, we tame the problem with the power of God and the cleansing blood of Christ. God wants to hear what you have to say, even though He knows everything about you. Take with you words. Psalm 51 is a beautiful confession where David picks up on the full range of of meaning for the word sin. Sin, transgression, iniquity, have mercy upon me, O God. And he goes on to confess all the dimensions of sin that he has committed in his relationship with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. And he says, against thee, the only, have I sinned. As he confesses his sin before God, he receives forgiveness for the sins that he confesses. When we're, when we're specific, we receive forgiveness for those areas in which we are specific. There's no sin left unturned in Psalm 51. As David considers the awful reality of sin and its rupturing of his relationship with God. Children, I'm sure you remember the story of the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee said, I thank thee, O God, that I'm not like other men. I'm not like that publican over there. The Pharisee was confessing his self-righteousness, but what was the publican saying? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all the publican could see in those moments, a sinner, a bundle of sin. He stood before the sacrifice in the temple as he saw the holiness of God, as he saw the, the blood being poured out, as it were, in the sacrifice. He saw his sin and he pled for mercy. If we confess our sin, take with you words, be specific, own your sin as the publican. Confession of sin is the beginning of forgiveness. If we do not know what sins to confess, how can we receive forgiveness for that sin? Without the clarity of a proper confession, There is no real forgiveness. Forgiveness comes through the clear statement of what sins we have committed before God. But perhaps you're you're saying tonight, well, what about those sins that we don't know about? What about those sins that we've not yet been made aware of that need forgiveness as well? When confessing sin, we must also confess unknown sins. Lord, I know there are blind spots and there are hidden parts of my heart that I do not know yet. 
I confess those blind spots. I confess those hidden areas where sin is still clinging stubbornly to me. But, O God, make them known in the light of your word and through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, make them known to me. Let's not play the game of smoke and mirrors by dwelling on sins that we don't know. I trust there's plenty that you do know that need confession and forgiveness. And it's laid down here in our text as a general rule and principle that when we pray for forgiveness, it begins with confession. The route to the promise and the reality and the experience of the forgiveness of sins comes through speaking saying the same thing that God says about sin, assenting to God's verdict upon our sin and then going to Christ with those sins for cleansing. Let me remind you tonight that a clear confession is a balanced confession. Confession is not wallowing in our sin. It's not just saying, woe is me and dwelling there and staying there. Nor is it lightly passing over our sins as if they don't matter. No, confession is rightly understanding our sin, being grieved over our sin, having a broken and a contrite heart before God. But it's with the intent and follow through to put off sin and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ to live a life of holiness. That's what the text from Hosea 12 verse 2 is driving at. That's the text that we heard this morning that's driving at. That when we confess our sins, that we've been forgiven for our sins, we render the calves of our lips to God, we render our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. If we're wallowing in our sin, it hinders a life of holiness. It denies the power and the resources of heaven to help us in the battle against sin. If we're just lightly passing over sin as if it doesn't matter, we're cheapening grace. The clarity of a proper confession is vital for forgiveness. It's important to have a clear and proper confession of our sins before God as we pray for forgiveness. Because when we pray for forgiveness and we confess our sin, we speak the truth about sin, about its awful realities, about its assault upon God and upon His image bearers. We demonstrate that the truth is in us by confessing sin. We uphold God's character. We We uphold the truth of God, the faithfulness and the truthfulness of God's character. When we pray for forgiveness with the clarity of a proper confession, we also have the confidence of promised cleansing in the blood of Christ. Our text says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This raises the question, why would you confess your sins before God? Well, there's a multitude of reasons you might do so. Maybe you want to escape the consequences of sin. You want to to run away from the consequences. Maybe you want to quiet your conscience and suppress the guilt of sin. Maybe you want peace in your relationships with others. You want reconciliation. Those are important reasons for confession. But they're not the main reason to confess our sins, are they? Notice what the text says. He is faithful and just. The motivation for confessing sin should not be for ourselves. It should not be anything less than the person of Jesus Christ. He's at the center of what John is writing about here. He's the one whom the apostles have have handled, whom they have seen, who has manifested to them. This is who John is proclaiming as he's writing to the church and to us. What is it that draws out our confession? It's not just escaping the consequences. It's not just quieting a guilty conscience. No, it's much greater than that. It is Christ who draws that confession out of us, isn't it? Sin is an assault against Him, against His blood, against His work on the cross. He was counted sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. When we sin, we we don't merely do something. Sin is an outright assault on the person of Christ. So confession by definition involves him. But he's also the only one who can forgive our sins, isn't he? We don't run to the priest and to the confession booth to confess our sins. Confessing our sins to one another has its place within the fellowship of the body of Christ. But that's not the direction that Jesus is teaching when He says, forgive us our debts. Jesus here is speaking about the vertical relationship between a sinner and God. It's sin that's between us and God. The only one who can remove that sin is Christ Himself. God in Christ is the source and the fountain of forgiveness. Scripture affirms this in several places. Think of Psalm 130 verse 4. But there is forgiveness with Thee, that is the Lord, 
thou mayest be feared. Forgiveness is from God. In Daniel 9, 9, we read these words as he humbles himself, as he prostrate, prostrates himself before God. What does he say? To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses. Though we have rebelled against him. Isn't that amazing? Though we have rebelled against God, with him is forgiveness and mercy. And so when we confess our sin, we confess them to Christ. We confess them to God. In order to restore that vertical relationship with Him. To restore that communion and fellowship with Him. Post-Pentecost. As the apostles preach Christ, what do they note about Christ? In Acts 5.31, Peter remarks this as he's preaching about Christ. Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. My friend, you don't have to forgive yourself tonight. Because there's forgiveness with God and with Christ in the gospel tonight for sinners. That when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. The fountain of forgiveness is with God tonight for sinners. Who give voice to their sins as God sees them. That is the marvel of grace. The marvel of forgiveness. Let these scriptures sink in deep into our minds and hearts tonight. For the soul that is troubled with sin, a sensitive conscience, carrying guilt that has not been dealt with, you don't know where to turn. He is faithful and just. With God there is forgiveness tonight. Perhaps you're here, you want to turn to Christ, but you don't dare because it seems that your sin is so great and you wonder how God can forgive you. There is forgiveness with Him that He may be feared. Christ is lifted up as a prince and a savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Stop looking at yourself tonight. Stop wallowing in your sin. Confess your sin. Man up with your sin. And come to Christ where there is forgiveness. For the soul that is hardened tonight. What is it that's going to soften your heart? To produce a broken and a contrite spirit. Is it a glimpse of Christ? As we've been hearing. Christ. Is the one who alone forgives sin. Why? Because the Apostle John highlights two aspects of his character that draws sinners to confess their sins with confidence tonight, with the confidence that forgiveness is theirs. Not because their confession is so good. Not because their confession is so proper and so clear, but when we come broken and humbled and we confess our sin, Christ is faithful and just. Those two aspects of His character give us confidence in this business of confession and forgiveness. 
Let's take the first trait of Christ that provides this confidence to come, to voice the darkness and the ugliness of sin in our hearts before Him. He is faithful. What is John saying here? Christ is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He draws sinners to Himself so He can deal with your sin tonight. It's His blood that cleanses from sin, as verse 7 makes clear. His promise for forgiveness is backed by His faithfulness. When He promises forgiveness, He will grant forgiveness to those who come seeking it. His faithfulness tonight is contrasted with your and my faithlessness, with our unfaithfulness. What John is saying here is that when we confess our sin, Christ will never disappoint. But when he says that he will forgive sins for those who come to him, seeking forgiveness, desiring to forsake sin and all its bypass, he will forgive. The promise of forgiveness is as certain as who Christ is. Speaking here of the reliability of Christ. You see what John is saying here. If we say that we've not sinned, we make God a liar or make Christ a liar. His word is not in us. But if we confess our sin and go to Christ with our sin, He is faithful. We uphold His faithfulness by daring to come with our sin. Because it's all we have. You see, his own character hangs in the balance tonight. He invites sinners to test that character, doesn't he? He's faithful. He gives every confidence to sinners to come, to approach him no matter what sin you have committed. He will forgive. The promise is sure. When we come and confess our sin, the word of Christ is this. Go and sin no more. Children, you remember the story in the Gospel of Luke or Mark? The four men who took their paralyzed friend on a bed and lowered him through the roof. What was Jesus' response to those men and to the paralyzed man on his bed? Listen. Luke 5, verses 28 through 24. I'm going to read all those verses. It speaks to the faithfulness of Christ in forgiving sin. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Gone. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
good question. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts, whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? That ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. Jesus demonstrates that he is God. That he has the power to forgive sin. That he is faithful to his promise. He backs that promise with himself. If God would not forgive sin, if Christ would not forgive sin, he would cease to be God. That's the point from these verses. It's the point from our text. Faithful and true. Reliable. To those who come seeking forgiveness in Him and for Him alone. The second aspect of His character is that He's just or righteous. This gets us into the heart of Christ's suffering and death and payment for sin. It gets us to consider the dreadful cost of sinning. The death and the shedding of the blood of Christ. In this one word, He is just. We have the gospel wrapped up, the entire gospel wrapped up in this one character trait. He is righteous, not only in how He lived, but in how He died, upholding the justice of God that demands payment for sin. He's paid it in full. Brings us back to His blood in verse 7. That cleanses from all sin. It brings us ahead to 1 John 2, verse 2. He is the propitiation that is set forth for our sins, John writes. The one who satisfies the wrath of God against sin. So we can come with confidence and boldness leaning on the character of Christ who He says He is. He is faithful and He is just. He has made payment for sin. Satisfied the justice of God in laying down His life as a whole burnt offering for sin. As He prophesies through the Holy Spirit in Psalm 40, I delight to do Thy will, O my God. Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me. As Paul writes in Romans 3, 25 and 26, Jesus is the one whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness. For what? For the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. When we come and confess our sins, it's not only saying what our sins are, but it's confessing who Christ is to meet the reality of our sins, that He is just and the justifier, that He can declare us righteous before God. These twin attributes of Christ draw the sinner this evening in praying for forgiveness. The faithfulness of Christ 
draws those who are hesitating, those who are halting, those who are disbelieving that he can forgive, those who tremble at his word tonight. Remember, he is faithful. He is just. Go to him in prayer, confessing your sin, confessing his faithfulness that covers your unfaithfulness. He is just. This draws sinners who question whether God can forgive them for the first time, for the 500th time. It's on the basis of the blood of Christ is made propitiation for sins that God can be just and the justifier of those who believe. This is what Lord's Day 51 describes for us. When we pray the fifth petition, we pray that God would be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute, not to count against our record. We who are poor sinners, our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us. He is faithful and just. Because of that, He draws us to Himself in prayer to pray for forgiveness. The clarity of a proper confession and the confidence of promised forgiveness and cleansing. And how does He deal with our sin? Coupled with these two attributes of Christ are two actions that God carries out based on the person and work of Christ. Because Christ is faithful and just, God can forgive sin and cleanse our sin. These two actions of God are vital in dealing with our sin. The first is forgiveness. Contains the idea of lifting off a burden. Lifting off and transferring to another. Comes to mind here is the story of Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. There's debate about where the cross should be placed in the story. But the point is this. When Christian comes to the foot of the cross, the burden that bowed him down was lifted at the cross, wasn't it? It's a picture of forgiveness. The burden of sin and the guilt for sin, and the penalty for sin that a sinner labors under is lifted off and transferred to Christ in that transaction that Christ made on the cross. When we receive forgiveness for sin, our sin is lifted off and transferred to Christ. The handwriting of the ordinance that was against us is nailed to the cross, Paul writes in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. What a thought that is tonight. When you go to God in prayer, confessing your sin, drawn to the foot of the cross because He is faithful and just, this is what God does for the sake of Christ for sinners. For those who repent and are broken in a contrite spirit, He lifts off that burden. You no longer have to carry that burden. But it's laid 
on Christ, the Redeemer. What a relief for tortured consciences tonight. Forgiveness. The lifting off of the burden of sin. Are you burdened tonight? Then run to Him because He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. To lift them off, never for us to carry them again. Free. The shackles broken. The debt paid. Forgiven. But it gets better. Cleansing. Cleansing for the uncleanness of our hearts. The life of sanctification reveals that uncleanness. The sin that remains against our will. The stain that sin has left in our lives. Christ is sufficient for that too. When we become aware of the uncleanness of our hearts, it should prompt us to seek cleansing in the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All that goes against who God is in our lives, He is able to cleanse and to remove the stain of sin until until one day we see Christ and we shall be like Him for we will see Him as He is. My friend, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Would you over, vict- over evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. He's faithful and just to forgive us all, or to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are the actions that God undertakes for sinners when they come and confess their sin. This is the promise that encourages us in praying for forgiveness. It gives confidence in our approach to God, not presumption. No. You want to know what presumption is? Staying away from Christ. Dishonoring Christ. Because if you stay away from Christ, you're saying that you don't have sin that needs to be dealt with. But it gives us a holy confidence. Because a proper confession clarifies what it is that we are seeking forgiveness for. 
And the promised cleansing gives confidence that forgiveness is not our work, but God's alone in Christ. When you pray for forgiveness, what are you saying about sin? What are you saying about the Savior? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's take this in hand and pray for forgiveness. Amen. Let's pray. We thank Thee, O God, for Thy Word and for Thy promise. We thank Thee for the command to confess, the call to confess, based upon who Christ is. Help us to do so, O God in order to receive forgiveness and cleansing in none other but Christ alone. Help us to stop trying to redefine sin, trying to minimize it, trying to hide it, trying to blame others. Help us to own our sin and to depart from sin as that sin has been lifted from us through the blood of Christ, through that once-for-all sacrifice. Lord, we pray that Thou will go with us in this week. Thou will help us to keep short accounts with Thee and with others. That from the forgiveness that we receive, we'd be enabled and empowered to forgive others who trespass against us. We're grateful, O God, for sustaining us through this day. Be with us now as we go the young people to hear Reverend Washer again bless the words he speaks. Lord, bless us in this week with thy presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.